Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 87 Call of Cthulhu. So last week we covered Arcane Magazine's poll of the top 50 role-playing games of all time, and I remarked then that I was embarrassed that the number one game on that list had never gotten an episode of its own. And I said I'd fix that this week. I am going to do that, but I did want to note that multiple listeners reminded me over the past week that I did discuss Cthulhu during some of our timeline shows, so we've covered it, we just haven't covered it in this long of a deep dive form before. Honestly, the game deserves its own episode, and so we're going to do that today. So let's crank up the tour bus and get to it. The origins of Call of Cthulhu come, as most of you probably know, from H.P. Lovecraft, who wrote a story with the same name. From that, over the years, there's been a sort of Cthulhu mythos that's driven the horror genre of books, movies, video games, and role-playing games. If you don't believe me, punch Cthulhu Mythos into your search bar and see how many different products that credit Cthulhu show up. For the record, it's a hell of a lot more than you just might think. However, the role-playing game gets its origins from a slightly different source. Chaosium, who holds the rights to the game to this very day, originally had the idea to create a game called Dark Worlds. In fact, that game was commissioned and completed, but for whatever reason or reasons was never published. At around this same time, Sandy Peterson got in touch with the company, looking to write a supplement for RuinQuest, which, by the way, was Chaosium's top seller at the time. His idea was to set the supplement within Lovecraft's Dreamland setting. From that, the first edition of Call of Cthulhu was born. Needless to say, Sandy Peterson's name has shown up on every edition of Cthulhu over the years, and that's been more than 40 years to this point, as the game first released in 1981. That first edition was a box set that included the main rulebook, plus a 16-page basic role-playing book, as Cthulhu is built on the basic role-playing system, and Chaosium wanted players to be able to play the game without needing to shell out extra for the full book, which, if you've been paying attention to recent events in the gaming world, is rather rare. Cthulhu also dumped the format of role-playing games on its head. I mean, before Cthulhu, whether it was D&D or any other type of role-playing game, the formula was basically the same. Adventure along the path, fight the monsters, get the reward, rinse, lather, repeat. Cthulhu changed this with Peterson's introduction of what he called the onion skin. So, what is the onion skin? Is it going to make you cry? Well, Cthulhu will probably make you cry before you're done playing, but that's not what I'm referring to here. The concept, as introduced by Peterson, is interlocking layers of information and nested clues that lead PCs from what appear on the surface to be minor investigations into missing persons and such into the most awful global conspiracies that could destroy the world. Another thing to understand about this first edition of Cthulhu is that the writers for the game just flat out assumed that the majority of the investigators wouldn't survive the campaign, either because they died or went insane. So the most logical thing to do, in their words, would be to run away. And it is described in the books as the safest way to deal with them. In the book, it's mentioned that any Cthulhu campaign, if it's run well, should engender a feeling of foreboding and inevitable doom to its players. 
So, when those of us who've played the game before somewhat jokingly say that your character's probably going to go insane inside of a half an hour, we speak from experience. This reputation also explains why there are so many gamers out there who won't try the game. I mean, I get it. Why in the hell would you willingly sign up to play a game where your character's pretty much guaranteed to either die or go insane? For some of us, that's the challenge. Can you be the last one in the group to completely lose it? Hey, sometimes you just make your own entertainment, all right? Getting back into first edition history, the first adventure book written for the game was Shadows of Yog Sothloth. Don't know if I got that right or not, so I apologize. The adventure set the pace for pretty much every adventure released after it, presenting the now standard premise of the group coming across the plot of a secret society to destroy mankind and traveling from their home location to locations around the world. Yog Slothoth is also important because it changed the way writers looked at linking adventures together in a campaign. Previously, and we can look to D&D, AD&D for this, adventure modules were basically linked together by a single antagonist, be it an individual or a group. Yog sothloth presented the concept of dropping clues throughout each adventure to allow the characters to proceed to the end. Every full-length adventure published for Cthulhu going forward followed that format. The quality of the clues was also a big part of first edition, and Chaosium took it to another level in the box sets for Mask of Narlathotep, and I know I messed that one up, and Horror on the Orient Express. The developers went so far as to include actual clues in the box, which included matchbooks, defaced business cards, newspaper clippings, period-accurate passports, and other items. These items added to the realism of the game and have continually drawn rave reviews from not only writers, but those who've played the game as well. Now, I sort of skipped over editions in the timeline here, because several of the campaign books and boxes I mentioned came out over a period of multiple editions. The second edition was released in 1983, and it took the two books in the original release and condensed them into a single volume. There were also some minor rules adjustments. Third edition dropped in 1986, and it went back to a split book format, with the Investigator's book being for the players and the Keeper's book being for the Game Master. It should also be noted that both second and third editions were box sets, much like the original. In 1987, Chaosium did something a little different with the Cthulhu product. They produced Cthulhu Now, which was a collection of rules, supplements, and scenarios that could be used to play Cthulhu in the modern day, since all of the previous materials had had a film noir style and setting. When it was announced, there was a sense of hesitation on the part of most writers, but players spoke with their wallets, making this material so popular it's been added to every core rulebook since. Also in 1987, Terror Australis, Call of Cthulhu in the Land Down Under, was released. This got an update in 2018 with a ton of new materials, but requires the 7th edition rulebook, which we'll get to in a few minutes. 1989's fourth edition of Cthulhu would be the last one directly overseen by Sandy Peterson. The first non-box set in the line, the rulebook was a soft cover release, and it dropped in supplemental materials from the Cthulhu Companion and Fragments of Fear releases. 1990 saw another line of supplements drop that both clarified the setting for Cthulhu and brought new adventures to the forefront. The line as a whole was called Lovecraft Country, and the various titles set themselves in various fictional towns from Lovecraft's work, Arkham, Kingsport, Innsmouth, and Dunwich. 
These works also covered some of the surrounding areas, which gave the GMs and players the opportunity to make their games even closer to Lovecraft's work than before. 5th edition credited Lynn Willis as the co-author, though as I just mentioned moments ago, Sandy Peterson was no longer directly overseeing the product, so Willis was, in essence, the sole author of the material. 5th edition would also get several reorganizations or reprints. 5th edition was released in 1992 with 5.5 in 1998, 5.6 in 1999, and 5.6.1 in 2001. 5.5 works a lot like D&D 3.5 as it was reorganized and, in Chaosium's words, updated. 5.6 and 5.6.1 are noted as being corrected revised printings. You will know which 5th edition product you have because they printed 5.5, 5.6, or 5.6.1 on the book when they printed it. If you don't have one of those three, then you have the 5th edition original, I promise you. 2001 also saw the limited edition 20th anniversary edition of Cthulhu. Bound in green leather, the book was laid out like an ancient tome. As one would expect, all of the copies of this run sold out as fast as they could hit the shelves. 2004 saw the 6th edition of Cthulhu hit shelves. It had the exact same layout and content as the 20th anniversary edition, though it didn't get the green leather treatment. It was available in hardcover, softcover, and PDF versions. It's been noted by numerous game historians that the number of supplements released by Chaosium had slowed considerably by this point, some point to the end of the Mythos collectible card game in 1997 as the beginning of this, while others point to the possibility that the best ideas had already been used, so coming up with wholly new and different ideas for adventures was taking more time. In fact, by the end of 2004, supplement production had basically ceased and Chaosium was struggling just to get editions of the core Cthulhu book out the door. Chaosium had its own issues during this time, during which they flirted with bankruptcy before finally riding the ship. Cthulhu came back with a vengeance in 2005. Over the course of that year, 10 different releases came out, and they were all supplements, as 6th edition had dropped the previous year. One of the things that made all of this possible was that Chaosium had altered their publishing plan. They'd started marketing what are known as monographs. Those are short books written by individual writers and edited and laid out out of house, or to be more plain, outside of Chaosium. Chaosium then marketed these directly to the consumer, which allowed the company to determine how successful a particular product might be before going full on with a release. The world of Cthulhu was also expanded during the 2005 boom. Cthulhu Dark Ages was written by Stefan Gesbert, and it set Cthulhu in Europe during the 11th century. Modern-day Japan was added with the release of Secrets of Japan, written by Michael Dzinski, and Africa also got a seat at the table with Secrets of Kenya, written by David Conyers. Now, at some point during all of this, Lynn Willis passed away. However, Chaosium wasn't going to let Cthulhu die with him. Paul Fricker and Mike Mason were charged with working out a new edition of the game, and on May 28, 2013, Chaosium launched a Kickstarter for 7th edition. It raised over $550,000 on a goal of forty grand and was ultimately released in 2014. 
The goal with the new version was to conduct a major revision of the product, with splitting the core rules into two books being a priority. They went with the system we've seen in previous splits like this, with the players and GMs each getting their own book. However, Chaosium ran into issues in fulfilling the Kickstarters due to multiple delays and problems with the book itself, and turned to Sandy Peterson and Greg Stafford to help out. Now, both had left the company in 1998, but they returned in June of 2015 to clean up Chaosium's image from the Kickstarter debacle and get to work towards building Cthulhu for the future. Now, there's one more release I wanted to hit on here, and that's Cthulhu Through the Ages. This supplement provided the rules and background needed to bring Cthulhu to the Roman Empire, mythic Iceland, a futuristic setting, and the end times, which, yes, is pretty much what you think it is. Over the years, Cthulhu has seen versions for Green Ronin's True 20 system, Pinnacle's Savage Worlds, and Wizards of the Coast's D20 system. There have also been card games, miniatures, and six different video games released for various platforms. Needless to say, so long as Lovecraftian horror remains popular, Call of Cthulhu will be here to stay. I do have a list of awards and reviews, but you know what? Let's just get into the system of the game itself, since that's the order we tend to do things in around here. All right, so I've mentioned multiple times during the program to this point that Call of Cthulhu is based on Lovecraft's writings. Specifically, it's based on his observation in his essay, Supernatural Horror and Literature, that reads, quote, The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown, end quote. We've also noted that the various supplements in the line over the years have provided a number of different places to set the game, so we'll not mention them here again. I've also mentioned the names for players and GMs in the game a couple of times, but what I didn't note was that these come from Lovecraft as well. The GM is the Keeper of Arcane Lore, or the Keeper, while PCs are Investigators of the Unknown, or Investigators. The system itself is the basic role-playing system, which was used in pretty much every Chaosium release at the time, including RuneQuest. We covered the basic role-playing system in episode 65 back in August, so I'll refer you back to that show for a long-form rundown of how the system works. The short form on it is that it's skill-based, and characters get better at their skills, aka increase them, by succeeding at using them. That is, so long as they stay both alive and sane. There's no increase to hit points, so they don't become harder to kill. There are also no levels. Percentile dice are used to determine success or failure in Cthulhu. The overall idea is that every player stat is laid out with the thought that there's a certain percentage chance of success for whatever task the player is doing. For example, a character might have a 50% chance of being able to write a song. That would mean their songwriting, or art slash songwriting, skill would be a 50, and any roll 50 or lower on that percentile die would be a success. If you roll one-fifth or less of the skill, or one through ten in the example we're using, you've got a special success. Now, if this were a combat skill, it would be called an impale. Either way, the keeper has some extra bonuses or such to give you, and they determine what it is. Now, I started down the path earlier in the show, but let's expand on it here. The characters in the game are basically ordinary people who find themselves drawn into all of this mystery and weirdness. Detectives, criminals, scholars, artists, war veterans, you name it. Usually things start off innocently. The investigators start off looking into a mundane crime or happening. However, during the course of the investigation, things start to get 
weird. By that I mean that the true horrors of the world begin to reveal themselves and they don't necessarily do it quickly. Needless to say, this doesn't bode well for the characters because as they learn more about these horrors, their sanity begins to wither away. There's an actual score used for this, and those are sanity points. There's an actual mechanism in the rules to determine how damaged a character's sanity is at any point in the game. Needless to say, if you actually encounter a horrific being, you're losing some sanity points. That's not the only way you can lose them, but it's one of those occasions where you definitely will. Another way to lose them is in trying to acquire the tools needed to defeat these horrors, which are typically mystic knowledge and magic. Now, the rules do allow for the use of overwhelming firepower, if you can manage it, or being smarter than what you're dealing with and being able to outsmart it. However, it's been my experience that by the time you get around to outsmarting something, you've probably lost too much sanity to actually succeed at it. I've mentioned it more than once and I'll mention it again. Cthulhu can be a meat grinder of a game. Success is not only not guaranteed, it is highly unlikely. Chances are good that most, if not all, of your group will either die or go insane. If by chance there is a character that survives, they're going to be scarred for life, and the player responsible for that character would probably need to create a new one in order to play another scenario. In my experience, anybody who's ever played Cthulhu has at least one story about a player who's burned through a stack of characters trying to get through a single adventure, only to still not succeed. Hopefully, some of those folks will share their stories on the socials, and those who still don't believe me can see it for themselves. All right, we're at the point of the show where it's time to break out some reviews. In the March 1982 edition of Space Gamer, William A. Barton noted the short-sightedness of assuming players would have access to the RuneQuest rules that hadn't been included in Cthulhu. That being said, he called the game, quote, an excellent piece of work. The worlds of H.P. Lovecraft are truly open for the fantasy gamer, end quote. In the August 1982 edition of White Dwarf, Ian Bailey's only complaint was that it was too, quote, U.S.-orientated and consequently, any keeper who wants to set his game in the UK will have a lot of research to do, end quote. He still loved the game, giving it a 9 out of 10 and adding, quote, Call of Cthulhu is an excellent game and a welcome addition to the world of role-playing, end quote. In the May 1982 edition of Dragon Magazine, David Cook stated that he thought the rules were a bit too complex for new gamers, but... Quote, it is a good game for experienced role-playing gamers and ambitious judges, especially if they like Lovecraft's type of story. End quote. As we know by now, this was the game at the top of the Arcane Magazine 50 Most Popular Role-Playing Games of All Time poll. What I didn't include in last week's episode was Paul Pettengale's comments. Quote, Call of Cthulhu is fully deserved of the title as the most popular role-playing system ever. It's a game that doesn't age, is eminently playable, and which hangs together perfectly. The system, even though it's over 10 years old, is still one of the very best you'll find in any role-playing game. Also, there's not a referee in the land who could say they've read every Lovecraft-inspired book or story going, so there's a pretty well endless supply of scenario ideas. It's simply marvelous. End quote. With 22 awards given to the various editions and supplements of the game, including six for best role-playing game, it's safe to say that gamers and writers alike have loved Cthulhu over the years. And that's proven if you check it out online. 
On a whim, I checked out a few online boards and noted that there are literally dozens of Cthulhu games going on at pretty much any given time and in pretty much any part of the world. And I mean that by actual time of day. There was one site I checked out where the various gamers were talking about their games, and I noted that there was literally a game starting every hour on the hour in some part of the world. So, more than 40 years after its creation, Call of Cthulhu is still running strong. And I'd usually do this sort of promo after I wrap the episode, but I'll put it here. I've got a copy of the most recent starter set for Call of Cthulhu, and I'm going to do a video detailing it for either the Facebook page or YouTube channel, and I'll have it done by the end of the weekend. So check those out if you're curious about how the game looks in 2023. And with that, we've come to the end of today's show. Next week, we take a look at Rollmaster and the company behind it, Iron Crown Enterprises. In the meanwhile, check out our other podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. This week, we're building up to our group getting some justice for someone they did a job for a couple weeks ago. Should be interesting to see how that part of the build goes. Also, for the first time this season, I'll have a recap of what my group did with some of the materials we created earlier in the season. Bad GM's Campaign Build Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr, it's Bad GM Productions. You can email us, badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, it's Rollmaster and Iron Crown Enterprises. I'd remind you for the record that Rollmaster also made that arcane poll we broke down last week, so this will give us a closer look as to why. But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis and your role-playing history.